0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Encouragement Expert podcast. We're glad you're here today. Let's join Pastor Wes Doffinball for an encouraging word titled, The Receding of America. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with you today. I love each one of you. God bless you in Jesus' name. I want to speak a sermon called, uh, The Receding of America. Uh, re-seeding as in seeding a lawn, okay? Let's pray. Father, we just ask you to bless the word to us today and bless us to your word that we might be doers of it with all of our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, for many months, God has been stirring my heart with with a real vision, a new vision for a very powerful tract ministry, a tract being a little, you know, printed brochure type of thing. And uh, we've printed 30,000 copies of a tract called Best News Ever and 14,000 copies of a track called The True Story of the Rescued Rat. A third tract has uh, all been, the artwork's all paid for and the uh, typesetting and layout's all done. It's just ready to print. We have, I think we have about 300 or $350 set aside for that. So we need a total of 1500 and then we will print uh, 15,000 of those. And uh, now I, uh, I visualize receding America with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to just walk around your neighborhood and notice the best lawns and uh, compare them with the lawns that have dead spots and weeds and combinations of grasses or thinning because of lack of water. You know, it takes a lot of work to have a really nice lawn. And once it is nice, you've got to really carefully guard it and keep it watered, fertilized, trimmed and all that stuff. Now, a national revival is possible. It's possible to see a reversal of the very bad trends of socialism, atheism, sexual perversions, and confusions. It's possible to see decaying cities brought back from lawlessness to safety, order, and prosperity. So in my mind, I compare a revitalized lawn to a revitalized city or nation because the same steps that are required to bring a lawn from ugliness to beauty, can be applied to a city or a nation. Now, my first point is that we need to think pre-emergent. In other words, we've got to reach children. One of the first things that I had to learn about having a nice lawn in our area of the world is that it's absolutely necessary to put down a pre-emergent in mid-February before the bad grass which is I would call annual Kentucky bluegrass or Pao Ano, and uh, other bad weeds sprout from their seeds. Now, pre-emergent prevents those seeds from sprouting. And Pao Ano is a grass that's not perennial. It has to come back every spring from its seeds. So if you let those seeds sprout, it will take over a good lawn very quickly. Um, but if you put down a pre-emergent, then you've hindered it very greatly and you won't have too much trouble with it that year. Now, we need to be very concerned about getting good seed onto children and not only the good seed of the gospel, but messages and lessons that would prevent them from ever believing in atheism or uh, communism or sexual perversions and things like that. Uh, Pre-emergent type messages are needed. And one of the things I think we should pray for continually is a national voucher system that would empower parents to choose what school their kids would go to. And then the failing schools would quickly be Uh, Become a thing of the past. Uh, People would uh, the competition then would just weed out the bad schools, and there's just a huge amount of bad schools. In fact, I I think the uh, teachers' union has reached a point of where you it's just ridiculous to uh, send kids to into that place where they're going to be indoctrinated rather than taught reading, writing, and arithmetic. Just a whole bunch of what they're going to be taught is just crazy, horrible stuff. And uh, a voucher system then would would get money going to schools that really teach them how to succeed in life and teach them skills and not just teach them propaganda. Now, uh, we need to really pray for that. And sometimes uh, some of the most important prayers uh, require the most perseverance in prayer, where you keep praying for it, you keep praying for it. And Jesus said, if you ask and keep on asking, that's the greek you know it's not just ask but it's ask and keep on asking seek and keep on seeking knock and keep on knocking he said everyone that does that will receive so um as we think pre-emergent we we might as well think you know we don't we don't dare let this uh these bad uh, like critical race theory be taught in the in the public schools we've got to prevent that from sprouting now i uh one time I made a brochure about the why we should have bus ministries to win kids, and I, and I used this uh, story called The Crazy Test. If you want to tell if someone is crazy, you put them in a room with a mop, you turn a water faucet on so that water's splattering all over the floor, and then you tell them to mop up the water. Now, if they mop and mop but never have enough sense to turn off the faucet, they're crazy. You lock them up, okay? Now, if they've got enough sense to turn off the faucet first and then mop up the water, they've got enough sense to make it in the world, all right? Now, let's apply the crazy test to the church. You see, unevangelized children are like that water faucet. They're going to hit the floor and turn into sinful teenagers and sinful adults if they're not one to Christ and discipled, all right? So if the body of Christ is only trying to mop up the messed up lives of teenagers and adults, trying to mess up, mop up all the mess in, in teens and adults and does little to win or disciple children, we're crazy because we're letting that faucet run while we try to mop up the mess. All right, so everybody say to yourself, think pre-emergent. Now, secondly, you got to think grub killers. You see, grub grubs get into lawns through uh, an insect called a crane fly that lays its eggs in the lawns. Those lawns turn into little grubs, and they look like an earthworm that's a half inch to two thirds of an inch long, and they eat the roots off the good grass, probably off of any grass, but uh, they'll devastate a nice lawn and and leave uh, meandering streams of where the grass just dies, uh, and then they can just about wipe out an entire lawn if you don't uh, kill them. So before you can effectively reseed a lawn that's been badly damaged, you have to put on and apply a very strong grub killer. And in my case, in my lawn, I had to put uh, put two on. I had to make two applications. And to pr- now that I've uh, reseeded so much of it and uh, got it back in order. I'm about ready to put on a third uh, grub killer that will last several months just to make sure it doesn't start all over again. So uh, as we think how to apply what you do for a lawn to a city or a nation, um, you've got to think about what 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 is the grubs that is eating the roots out from under Christianity in the United States? Well, there's several, but a major one is is the teaching of macroevolution. Now, macro means massive evolution where an, one cell accidentally gets started. Somehow life comes into a cell. Nobody's ever figured out how to do that in a laboratory, but that's the macroevolution. And then everything gets organized from that one cell and and fish grow legs and, and uh, you know, Monkeys turn into people and, well, that's still taught in the public schools and the universities and just sort of accepted, which it's just totally unscientific. It is a theory and it's not proved out by anything. Now, there is microevolution, but that's just within species, such as dogs being bred to be a different sizes or, uh, you know... One could uh, crawl in a hole and eat a rat, and one could uh, be like a greyhound and run really fast, but there's are still dogs. Now, macroevolution then is teaching that there's no creator God, that every person happened by chance, and that belief eats the roots out from under Christianity, and not only Christianity, but, but law, uh, law, law and order. Uh, You see, if there's no God, there's no judgment. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no higher law. So evolution promotes lawlessness. So I've written a new tract that's designed to be a grub killer. It's uh, for children and teens. Now, I have to get the artwork put into color, uh, fine-tune it, and uh, then get the tract uh, typeset and then get money for the printing but it's called the creation play and it has three scenes and in each individual scene some teen or young person says there must be a creator god and i'd like to know god and be a friend of god now at the end of the tract there'll be an invitation from jesus to say this is the way to intimacy with the father i'm the way now uh the logic is so profoundly simple in in these uh, in that tract that it would just destroy evolution. For instance, scene one is where a, a kid would find an arrowhead and claim that the arrowhead evolved over billions of years as the sea pounded the rock into other rocks and chipped it into the sharp, pointed uh, with sharp edges that looks like an arrowhead. And the kid would say, isn't it amazing how this evolved? Now, the professor would say, no, no, that didn't evolve. Uh, Evolution could never, ever make an arrowhead. Uh, All the evolutionary forces would just round off the edges, you know. It'd be like the stones on the beach. It'd all be round. Uh, It had to be made by the hand of man. There's no way that evolution could make that arrowhead. Now, then the kid says, well, if evolution couldn't make a simple arrowhead, how could it make the man that made the arrowhead, male and female, you know, walking around talking, seeing, hearing, thinking, you see how completely illogical, foolish, and stupid macroevolution is. And so, you you just put out a little message like that and it's so profoundly simple but true, it can destroy... Uh, the grubs. Okay. Now, um, another grub killer message that I feel very uh, strongly about that I must write and publish, and I need prayer for this, because it'll be called When God Unzipped the Earth. You see, the largest feature on the globe is the underwater mountain range called the Mid-Oceanic Rift. It's a mountain range that's 40,000 miles long, and it wraps around the entire world. And almost no Americans know anything about it, not even the Christians, not even the pastors. Now, the Bible records that God made the earth with much water under the surface of the ground. And then that after humans became almost entirely wicked, the Bible teaches God destroyed that world with a cataclysm, a flood that killed everything on the planet and that this water came from underground. Now, Dr. Walter Brown uh, is a brilliant uh, scientist and Christian man, and uh, he published a book called In the Beginning. It's got eight different editions where it's been updated over the years. But in that book, he gives his hydroplane theory as opposed to the tectonic plate theory. Uh, But the hydroplane theory, goes right along with scripture, and then it basically just proves scientifically what the scriptures say. Now, this theory contradicts. listen to this big word, uniformitarianism, and uniformitarianism is a theory like evolution. That, uh, that, uh, the theory is that changes in the earth's crust during geological history have resulted from the action of continuous and uniform processes. See, it, it, it uh, pushes out the idea that something could have been formed through a cataclysm. And uh, so it would say the Grand Canyon was, has been formed by the same Colorado River that's running there now, as opposed to the hydroplane theory says that the Grand Canyon was formed after Noah's flood, when most of the water had drained off, but on the land there were huge lakes Uh, And then as those lakes got additional rainwater and stuff, eventually the natural dam broke and breached, and a huge amount of water equal to, you know, like two or three or four of the Great Lakes put together drained out fast, and the sediments that had been laid down in the Great Flood, the massive sediment layers, were still relatively soft, and so that Grand Canyon was cut all at once. Now, Ah uh, Peter wrote, listen to this, because this is what the Bible says. Peter wrote, Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, that means the water, the world that existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now, that's 2 Peter 3, verse 3 through 7. So, you know, the Bible, Peter wrote, you know, something not quite 2,000 years ago, that in the last days, there'd be these scoffers that are saying everything continues. See, that's uniformitarianism. Uh, Now, Dr. Walter Brown explains what he calls the hydroplane theory in a six-minute video on his website. And I would love to have you all go to the www.creationscience.com, creationscience.com. And watch that little video on the front page because I'm going to read the text of that to you. But you see, almost nobody knows this stuff. And then uh, if we don't, between evolution, which says there's no creation, and uniformitarianism, which says there wasn't a f- worldwide global flood, the roots are eaten out from under uh, belief in the Bible. The roots of Christianity are eaten, okay, and just thins out in America like a bad lawn, like a lawn that's being destroyed. So I'm going to quote from that little video now. He said, "This is Dr. Walter Brown. I'm quoting." We can see on our planet 17 very strange features which can now be systematically explained as the result of a cataclysmic global flood whose waters erupted from subterranean chambers with an energy release exceeding the explosion of 10 billion hydrogen bombs. This explanation shows us just how rapidly major mountains formed It explains the coal and oil deposits, the rapid continental drift, why on the ocean floor there are huge trenches and hundreds of canyons and volcanoes. It explains the formation of layered strata and most of the fossils, frozen mammoths, the so-called ice ages, and major land canyons, especially the Grand Canyon. The pre-flood earth probably had only one very large supercontinent covered with lush vegetation. Well, that's what the Bible says in Genesis. It says uh, the oceans were gathered into one place and dry land appeared, and so it was all uh, one great big continent. Now, Walter Brown says there were seas and major rivers. The mountains were smaller than today's, but perhaps up to 9,000 feet tall. According to the hydroplate theory, the pre-flood Earth had a lot of subterranean water, about half of what is now in our oceans. This water was contained in interconnected chambers, forming a thin spherical shell about a half a mile to three quarters of a mile thick, perhaps 10 miles below the Earth's surface. Okay, and and then it had a a, a granite uh, covering over that as if you'd lay a big slab of granite on a waterbed. Uh, the granite would not be floating on the water, but it would, it would stay on top of the bed, all right? So he continues now. Increasing pressure in that subterranean water stretched the crust of the earth that was on top of that water just like a balloon stretches when pressure inside increases. So as the water heated up, it stretched that crust of the earth. And finally, there was a failure in the crust that began with a microscopic crack which grew in both directions at about three miles per second. And that crack, following the path of least resistance, encircled the globe in about two hours. As the crack raced around the earth, the overlying rock crust opened up like a rip in tightly stretched cloth. The subterranean water was under extreme pressure because of the weight of 10 miles of rock resting down on it. So the water exploded violently out of that rupture. All along this globe-encircling rupture, fountains of water jetted supersonically almost 20 miles into the atmosphere. Spray from this enormous fountain produce torrential rains such as the earth has never experienced before or after. The Bible states that all the fountains of the great deep burst open on that one day. That's in Genesis seven eleven, like the 7-11 stores. All right, it's Genesis seven eleven. He continues, it describes these events that happened about 5,000 years ago, uh, which we can now tie together scientifically. Much of the water jetting high above the cold stratosphere froze into super-cooled ice crystals and produced some massive ice dumps, which buried and suffocated and instantly froze many animals, including the frozen mammoths of Siberia and Alaska. He's continuing, the high-pressure fountains eroded the rock on both sides of this crack producing huge volumes of sediments that settled out of this muddy water all over the earth. These sediments trapped and buried plants and animals forming the fossil record. This erosion widened that rupture. Now, eventually, the width was so great that the compressed rock beneath the subterranean chamber, where the water was, sprung upward, giving birth to the mid-oceanic ridge that wraps around the earth like the seam of a baseball. Now, I'm going to stop quoting for a minute. You can go on the Internet and type in mid-oceanic ridge, and it'll bring up pictures of this. You see, it's all underwater, but it is a mountain range in the middle of the oceans that wraps around the earth. It's 40,000 miles long, all right? And uh, that's where the great fountains of the deep burst forth, All right, now he continues, the continental plates, the hydroplates, still had some water underneath them, but as that buckled up in the the middle of this great big erosion, then the underlying uh, rock buckled upward, then those hydroplates slid downhill and they slid away from this rising uh, mid-Atlantic ridge. And so the massive, slowly accelerating continental plates reached speeds of about 40 miles per hour, and then they finally ran into resistances. Now, I'll stop and tell you what those two were. Either they ran into other continental plates, or they just ran out of water underneath them, and it began to slide on top of rock, creating tremendous friction. Okay, so that uh, compressed them and buckled them, and that's what formed the major mountain ranges all over the world, the Rockies, the Alps, the Andes. Now, when the water was gone out from under these plates, that friction caused them to buckle. So continuing to quote him, the portions of the hydroplate that buckled down formed the great ocean trenches. Those that buckled upward formed mountains. This is why the major mountain chains are parallel to the ocean ridges from which they slid. Now, that's a fact. Uh, the mid oceanic ridge, the Rocky Mountains are parallel to that, and so on around the world. Now, he continues the hydroplates in sliding away from the oceanic ridges opened up very deep ocean basins in which the floodwaters retreated. On the continents, each bowl-shaped depression or basin was naturally left brimful of water producing many post-flood lakes. Now, that's the end of his quote. Uh, in his book, uh, which you can buy, then he would explain how many of the great uh, the great canyons, like the Grand Canyon, came from when those huge lakes that were left, the the natural dams were actually breached, and the water began to gush out with tremendous force, and uh, the sediments at that time hadn't been deposited that long, and so they were softer, and the, the great canyons were cut all at once. Well, now in his book, In the Beginning, he also explains how this event resulted in comets and meteorites. You see, when that great fountains of the deep burst forth, it blasted rocks from the crust of the earth clear into space out of earth's gravitation. And uh, it also blew some water into space. Now, meteorites are mostly rock, while comets are mostly ice. And comets are disappearing because every time they go around the sun, see, a comet has a tail. What is that? That's the melting ice. It's getting smaller, and uh, uh, so as it uh, gets anywhere near the sun, then a lot of it melts. So comets are disappearing. Pretty soon, there there won't be any. And uh, uh, but you know, science doesn't have an explanation from this. If you if you debunk the uh, the Bible story. And you you won't consider it. Then then it sounds maybe fantastic to some people to say that the uh, the Noah's flood is is where meteorites and comets originated. But it makes perfect sense. All right. Now um, this brief summary, see, with some Bible verses and some select pictures, needs to be in a brochure that are uh, tracked. That would uh, give a website for additional information. This is extremely important, powerful. It's scripture and science, but there's no way to, you know, to, he'll explain the, how the uh, big limestone deposits formed, how the f- flood, uh, you know, rafted together vegetation and buried it under sediments and uh, coal and uh, oil deposits were formed. Marvelous, marvelous stuff. Now, I'm convinced that that is an extremely important piece of literature that has never been uh, produced. He's worked for years on this great big textbook, but it has so much scientific talk and language and footnotes, and uh, that it is—it's like thick gravy. I mean, you know, you you can read that. Uh, but you can only read so much, and and your brain is overwhelmed because he's such a extremely brilliant man, and he's uh, proving his points as if he's proven it to other scientists. So I want to uh, use the, the anointing skill. I believe I have some of each, <laughs> and uh, my ability in anointing and gifting is to make profound things simple. See, so I want to be able to, uh, you know, put it out simply, and then refer people that want more information uh, back to his website or his book because you see that's a grub killer that's a major 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 grub killer and almost nobody in the nation knows anything about it so the grub the grubs of this uh, evolution and uh, uniformitarianism like i said they've eaten the the, eaten the roots out from under christianity in really in the whole world Uh, but especially in the United States. Now, my third point is you got to think, pull up the bad grasses. In my lawn, you know, I attacked the areas uh, that had been taken over by bad grasses by simply getting down on my knees, grabbing them, and pulling them up until only bare dirt was left. I filled up many great big uh, garbage cans, you know, the kind that you... uh, uh, have organic material that the garbage company will have you put your lawn waste and stuff in a great big old garbage can with wheels on it. Well, I filled up three of those with what I pulled up on my hands and knees. Now, spiritually, you know, Paul goes, Paul says this, he says, the weapons of our warfare are are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to uh, obey Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5. Now, if you don't destroy arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God, then it'd be like putting good grass seed on top of bad grass. A few of those seeds might sprout. But the bad grass would still remain and probably choke out the seed. So, um, I want to give an example from the prophet Isaiah where he is destroying, uh, with what he writes, uh, the idea that idols could be gods because during his day that was you know that was the bad grass or the grubs or however you want to refer to it so many people were into idolatry so he wrote this the iron smith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals he fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm but he gets hungry and his strength fails so he drinks no water and he's faint the carpenter stretches a line he marks it out with a pencil he shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the other ha- half he eats. Over that half he eats meat. He roasts it and he's satisfied. And he also says to himself, "Aha! I am warm. I've seen the fire." And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, "Deliver me, for you are my god." And then verse 20 of Isaiah 44, he feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Now that's powerful stuff that just destroys uh, idolatry, doesn't it? now in the same way, I want to write uh, stuff that, uh, you know, tracks and stuff that destroys arguments like socialism, communism, critical race theory, and transgender idolatry, which I think is an abomination. Now, my fourth point is: you got to think plant seed. If If you're wondering why I think transgender ide- ideology is uh, is so bad, uh, it just destroys women. It's uh, it redefines what a woman is, and basically throws women under the bus uh, ruins women's sports, takes away the safety from all of our wives and girls in the bathrooms where perverted men then can pretend to be women and go right into their bathrooms. It's just it's just as stupid as idolatry. it's just as stupid. Now my fourth point is you got to think plant the seeds see after I, After I put down a pre-emergent so the weeds couldn't sprout, or the uh, bad grass couldn't sprout, then then I killed the grubs. Then I got down on my hands and knees, and I pulled up the bad grass, but then I had to plant seed. Now, tracts that declare the deity of Jesus and how to find salvation are spiritual seeds. They're not grub killers. There's the seeds. You could kill all the grubs, but if you don't plant the seeds, you still don't have Christianity. So these are very powerful messages. Now, all plants, grasses, and trees produce seeds. That's how they keep their species alive. If they didn't, they'd be uh, run on a business, so to speak. The others would take over. And uh, boy, do they compete. So I understand what a turf war means now more than ever. Uh, grasses and different kind of plants, they're just at war trying to get their seeds out there and, and take over. Now, none of these plants are sitting around worried saying, I just don't know if it'll work to, to make seed and, and get my seed out there. I just don't think many of these seeds are going to sprout. You know, maple trees in the, in the spring when the green leaves come out, they push off whole clusters of these little propeller-like seeds that spin around in a circle. And, uh, and they, the tree doesn't say, well, I just don't know where they're going to end up. I, some of them are going to be just litter, you know. And some of them will never. The trees aren't worried about what they're concentrating on. Just get the seed out there. Get it out. The grasses, all the plants, all of nature, they just produce the seed. Every little dandelion can't wonder where each seed's going to end up. Now, too many Christians... And are just thinking, well, I don't know that it's going to work to give out a tract or any kind of a brochure that has any scriptures on it or any. Oh, stop it. Of course it works. The Bible works. Truth works. It's seed. And when it's got God's word in it, it's very extremely powerful seed. And yet, American Christians, in my opinion, rarely go to seed. Now, I've I've, Uh, been thinking a lot about dandelions. I got to admire them because every single flower turns into a globe of seeds with every seed having their own ability to fly on the wind. Now it takes a dandelion flower from nine to 15 days to go to seed. And you can watch an amazing time-lapse video of this on YouTube. So you type in the search bar, time-lapse dandelion flower to seed head. That's what you type in, all right? Time-lapse video, uh, uh, time-lapse dandelion flower to seed head and uh, dash YouTube. So, it's 1.41 minutes long. The flower actually starts to fold up uh, like an upside-down umbrella, all right? That's what it looks like as as it folds up. And then it has a metamorphosis sort of like a a caterpillar turning into a butterfly except in this case the flower folds up and then it turns and then when it opens back up again it's no longer a flower it's a perfect globe of seeds that's amazing now each dandelion flower or head can produce from 54 to 172 seeds and each dandelion plant which has multiple flowers, can produce 2,000 seeds, each capable of becoming another dandelion plant. You ever wonder why dandelions seem to be so strong and why they can uh, uh, show up when you don't want them to? Well, they're experts at seed. Now, in my meetings, I'm doing my best to motivate Christians to adopt a simple habit of taking powerful tracks with them wherever they go into stores or a bank or a gas station or a motel or a restaurant. Just carry them around with you. And when you meet people, uh, just tell them, you know, I'd like to give you a little Jesus loves you message. And uh, that's what I say. I tell them, I want to give you a little Jesus loves you message. And they, these open like a book and then like a poster. But I always tell them they're not about any certain church, but they are about how much God loves you. And I just get all kinds of joy sharing these truths with people. And when you say that, most people will take them. And in fact, the vast majority will act honored that you want to tell them how much God loves them. They'll take them gladly. Now, there are going to be a few that don't, but I haven't found very many. The vast majority like the idea of somebody loving them and enough to give them a message about God's love. Now, I have been amazed at how many Christians and even Christian leaders act like Christian literature is not effective. Actually, it is the most effective way of spreading the gospel. Now, listen to this quote by Dr. Bill Bright, who was the great founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. He said, quote, If God were to give me miraculous, supernatural strength to go to every family on earth and preach for an hour about Jesus, or if, on the other hand, he permitted me to take a clear, printed message of salvation to every family on earth, there's no question I would choose the latter. If I were to preach an hour to every family, there's no doubt that some days I'd probably not do the best job and many families might not understand my message the first time through. But anointed literature has no bad days. It can stay for months or years, speaking over and over until the Holy Spirit penetrates the heart of the reader. Now, in his uh, wonderful book, called look what god is doing dick eastman the president of every home for christ which is a ministry that goes around the world taking gospel literature to every home that's their mission all over the world even people that don't live in houses (laughs) that live in trees uh, they became a not every home for christ but every tree for christ in that particular area of the world anyway He shares the story of a a guy named Sanji Adonga, who was passing out printed gospel literature in a sprawling Muslim city in North Africa. So at one door, he was greeted by a young man in his mid-twenties, and Sanji handed him a a Christian booklet and uh, declared boldly, uh, I give you the truth. Well, the man looked at it and he shouted, this is not the truth. This is a lie. And he tore the book into and threw it in the face of the young evangelist. And he said, leave now and don't ever return or I'll kill you. And that night, that guy, whose name was Abjulia Massa, fell into a deep sleep. And during the night, he felt two powerful hands grab his shoulders in the darkness and begin to shake him violently. But in the darkness, he couldn't feel any body to go at the hands. And he was scared out of his mind. He said, what do you want? Who are you? And he turned on the light. The room was empty. And he said, who are you? And then a voice filled the room. You have torn up the truth, the voice said with authority. Where are you? "'Abduliai shouted again. "'What do you want?' "'You have torn up the truth,' the voice repeated. "'The message you were given by the visitor at your door "'was God's truth that points to eternal life. "'It tells the only way to lasting peace and happiness, "'and you have torn it up.' Abduli was still shaking. Well, "'What can I do now?' he said. "'Surely the pieces of paper have been blown away by the wind.' And the voice said, I will tell you where you may find another booklet. Take paper and pencil and write this address. Abdullahi could not believe he was hearing a voice with no visible body, but he grabbed a paper and pencil and he uh, got ready to write down the name and address of uh, Sanji Adanga, the guy that had come to his door with the Christian booklet. And the voice repeated, if you want another booklet, You must go to this address when the sun rises. You'll find the same man who stood at your door today. And then the voice was gone. Now, the next day, Abdullahi went to that address given by this mysterious voice. And he said, I've come for another booklet. And he explained what happened. So the young evangelist got another uh, booklet. And for the next hour, he used it to explain what it meant to receive Christ as Lord I believed the message was true, and he repeated the sinner's prayer and gave his life to Jesus. Now, later, they had to help him escape 300 miles to the south to avoid being killed by his own family, especially by his father. Now, I believe the voice and the hands that shook him was an angel, because angels don't preach the gospel. You can remember the story in Acts 10, where Cornelius, a Roman centurion, I believe, was uh, uh, he was a Roman officer in the army, but he was praying. He was a godly man. He was praying, and an angel appeared and said, Send to a, a Joppa. There's a guy there named Simon Peter staying, staying with Simon the Tanner, and you get him, and he's going to tell you a message whereby you and your household will be saved, will find eternal life. Now notice both instances here, the one in North Africa and the one over there, uh, You know, in the Bible days, the angels didn't preach the gospel, and they don't preach the gospel. You see, they cannot preach the gospel. That's amazing, isn't it? I have people in my meetings put their hand over their heart and say, I can do something that the greatest angels cannot do, not even Michael or Gabriel. I make them repeat it. I make them say, I can preach the gospel. Well, I don't force them to say it, but I try to get them to say it. You see, most Christians don't think of that. You can do something that the greatest angels can't do. And God gave the Great Commission to the human race, not to the angels. But they help us. They assist us. Just like the angel shook the guy awake and said, you tore up the truth. Now, here's the address. Go get another book. That guy will tell you uh, the truth. Now, I keep getting ideas for tracks. And... uh I'd like to make one called So You're Writing a Book. Now it would be a it would explain that on Judgment Day, the Bible says the books are opened, and God's keeping a book on every one of you. Every thought you think, every word you speak, every deed you do, every motive of your heart is going into your autobiography. Uh, it's your book. And when you die, your book is closed. and That's the end of the book. Now, then you're going to be judged out of the things written in the book. So the Bible says at judgment day, the books are opened and the dead will be judged out of the things written in the book. Then it says another book is opened, which is the book of life. And it says, if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, they'll be thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. That means they'd be thrown in there with a resurrected body that could never Never actually burn up, but it would be just worse than death uh, to be eternal torment. Now, it's just hor- horrible to even contemplate that. But in this tract, then I would explain that while your book is being written, it can be edited, and that God would like to help you edit your book. Now, an editor uh, you know, will mark things that need to be deleted. And God can take all your sins and all the record of your bad motive and your bad words and your bad deeds, and, and he can delete that from your book by, if you'll turn your life to Christ, he'll wipe out your sin. Jesus died on the cross to save the world from their sins. All right? The Jews hoped that he would, the Savior would come and save him from the Romans, but he did something more important—he saved them from their own sins. Well, I think that'd be a very powerful brochure. Uh, I think it would shock people to think, "Wow, a book is being written when I die. It's going to be closed. I'll be judged out of things written." I—I I better get uh, God to help me edit this thing right, right quick, and uh, take out all that bad stuff I've done. Destroy the record of it. Now, I believe I just believe God is going to give me one idea after another. He could give you ideas. I'm not the only one that can write these things, but uh, I believe that's a major part of my call. Now, my fifth point is invest in a seed company and or be a seed sower. So, I've already said that I believe God has called me and gifted me and anointed me to write powerful gospel tracts of many kinds. However... Each illustrated tract needs from 6 to 10 color drawings, plus typesetting. And so a preparation for one of those tracts would be between $800 and 1200 That's just the preparation. Then there is the printing. And if we can still print at 10 cents each, then 15000 would be $1,500. Paul uh, quoted the scripture, "...everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." And then he wrote, how then can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Well, anybody that hands out tracts uh, has got those beautiful feet, all right? But anybody that uh, helps send the tract by helping pay for the development of it uh, is is just like sending a missionary. So it's a wonderful ministry to help pay for the development of developing and printing uh, these powerful tracts. Now, once they're in print, I can keep them in print by reinvesting the sales into a reprinting fund. If inflation takes off, you know, then uh, we'll keep putting the sales into the fund. The fund would have to get a little additional uh, gifts, I suppose, to uh, to keep up with inflation. But uh, anyway, your gift would keep on giving because we would we'd, we don't get any money from tracts. Uh, we just reinvest it. Now, uh, some people might be able to pay for the entire development of a tract. If you've heard about of my tract I want to do on creation or uh, when God unzipped the earth or the tract I'd like to write for police called call for backup or the one I'd like to write called so you're writing a book uh, well that takes money t- to do that and somebody might just say you know what I'd like to I'd like to help you now one color illustration uh My artist would charge $100 to draw it, get it just right, and then put it in full color. And usually a tract has anywhere from five to ten color drawings. Uh, But somebody else might just give a gift of $10, which would buy 100 copies of a tract we've already got in print. And 100 copies for $10 can be put into boxes of books that we send out to prisons. The chaplains really want tracts, and many times they'll tell you, we don't have any room to store books, but we'll take tracts because we can hand out tracts. Now, recently, I was delighted to send 600 tracts at one time to a pastor in Philadelphia and uh, who believes in it, and then I was just recently in Bismarck, North Dakota, held a meeting there, and uh, the people... Um, I sold a thousand tracts there. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I love it. to think of a thousand seeds going out and, uh, you know, just like the plants that put out their seeds. I can't say everyone will sprout, but that's the way the plants survive. And I know those seeds are powerful. Some of them are going to sprout. Now, finally, it takes the simple loving act of just giving out a tract. And Listen, Paul wrote, we are fools for Christ, 1 Corinthians 4.10. Now, it may seem foolish to say to someone, can I give you a little Jesus loves you message? I sure would like to. Does that sound foolish to you? See, that's being a fool for Christ. And, uh, and then me, you know, I go into a store and say, have I already given you one of these? And they'll say, yeah, you've, you've given me those. Someone might say, well, you gave me that one, but I'd like that other one. And, and then if I say, well, have i have already given you? And they say, yeah, you've already given us those. So what do I say then? I say, well, I'm working on a new one. Pretty soon I'll have a third one for you. Now, does that sound foolish? See, to a lot of people, that would sound really foolish. Well, I'll be a fool for Christ. Now, that's an honor to be that kind of a fool. A fool for Christ. Someone who's not ashamed to say, I'd like to give you a little Jesus loves you message. Now, I want to tell this story again. I might have told it last month, but it's so important. When I was a bus captain, there was one family that had an alcoholic father named Carl. And I'd give the bus flyers on Saturday to the kids and get them all primed to come with me on Sunday on the bus. So I'd always say, go get your dad. And when he'd come out, I'd say, hi, Carl. Hey, Carl, when are you going to get on that bus and come to church with us? And... Uh, He'd always say, I'm never coming to church. I'm never coming to church. Well, this went on week after week after week, and I never would let up. I'd always say, go get your dad, and I'd say the same thing. Now, one day, I said, hey, go get your dad. Hey, Carl, when you coming to church with us, he said, come in here. I want to talk to you. I saw you coming down the sidewalk today, and I thought, he's not going to ask me to go to church again. He knows I'm never going to come to church. And then he says, what's more, I know that you know that I'm never going to come to church. I thought he was going to blow my head off then, but then he said these words. But you ask me anyway, and that makes me feel like you really love me. See, you know that I'm never going to come, but yet you ask me anyway. That makes me feel like you really love me. Now, some people are going to say, there's that stupid old man, you know, that West guy. Uh, He's out there trying to give Jesus loves you message to everybody. Here he comes again. He'll probably want to give us one well, you know what? I do want to give him one. And after a while, they're going to think, I think he really cares. I think he really loves us. And I'm going to be out to convince them of that very thing. Now, to some, that would be a real embarrassment to do that. See, but you're not ready to be a fool for Christ then. You're too prideful. But anybody that would be a fool for Christ, just say, you know what, I just love telling people how much God loves them. I'll never get tired of it. Uh, I hope you'll enjoy this and someday I'll have another one and a different one and I'll want to give that to you too. Go ahead, get a reputation of loving people and caring about their soul. Now, my sixth point, you know, when I put the lawn seed down, I had to cover it with peat moss, see, because... I found that if you just put the seed on top of the ground, not much of it sprouts. But if I'd covered it with peat moss and then kept the peat moss wet, almost all of the seeds would sprout and become real beautiful, bright green sprouts of grass. So the lawn is looking really good. It's been revitalized. And that gives me a vision for the cities of America and uh, the culture, if my lawn, after getting decimated by bad uh, grasses and, uh, uh, and grubs, can be revitalized completely, uh, I just believe the nature, uh, the, the nation can as well. All right, but uh, notice the steps are the same. So we put the seed down. We got to get the tracks out there. But then the covering that we cover it with would be prayer. If you just pray for the lost and you don't put any seed down, that'd be like going out and sprinkling uh, peat moss all over your lawn. You can't just pray for the lost to be saved. You got to do something. You got to put some seed down, then pray. Pray and cover it. Now, recently I was rereading the classic book, called Tortured for Christ. I first heard Richard Wormbrandt when I was a freshman in college, and he came out to speak. He had a black robe and a a little backwards collar like the Lutheran uh, pastors, and I thought, oh, he's a stupid guy. He's, you know, wears one of those clerical robes. Boy, when he opened his mouth, I was spellbound. Me and the guy that were with me went back to the dorm. I went in one room, he went in the other, and we repeated everything that guy said. I mean, it penetrated us that much. I, I, we each took an hour to explain everything he said. And uh, you know how he, he uh, formed the ministry Jesus to the Communist World, which later became Voice of the Martyrs. But the way he came to Christ was that he was uh, a handsome young playboy, but he was a Jew. He came down with tuberculosis, and he was sent to a a sanitarium in a village. Now, in this village, there was an old man who had prayed, Lord, I want to win a Jew to Christ. Since Jesus came from the Jews, I want to win a Jew to Christ. I want part of my heavenly reward to be here on earth, and and it's this, I want to win a Jew to Christ. Now, Lord, there aren't any Jews in my village, but if you'll bring one here, I'll do my very best to win him for you. Now, that old man got a Bible and prayed and wept over that Bible for hours and then gave it to young Richard Wormbrand. Now, Wormbrand had read the Bible before as a piece of literature, hadn't made much of an impression. But when he read the Bible that had been prayed over, He would weep as he compared his selfish life to the life of Christ. You see, something was different about that Bible. It was seed that had been covered with prayer. And that seed sprouted in his heart. He became a Christian, a pastor, a living martyr, and a messenger to the world to tell the story of the persecuted church. Now, Paul wrote this, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. In other words, pray the message sprouts and continues then to go to seed, Second Thessalonians 3.1. And to Timothy he wrote, I urge then first of all that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And then we often go for, for people in government, for kings and governors. and Yes, well, we want to pray for all people, for all people. And that means cover your seed with prayer. And Paul also wrote, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, Ephesians 6:19. Now, I'd like you to pray that God would give me just the right words, of course, when I speak in person, but also when I write a tract or a book or a booklet or a sermon. And you say, well, aren't you already graced to do that? I don't think I can ever get too much prayer uh, that god would help me and tracts need special prayer because the messages have to be very concise yet they have to get across the truth you don't have any extra words in a tract so it has to make great and profound truths easy to understand in a few words And that's really difficult. That really is difficult now, to explain uh, how God unzipped the earth, how the great flood came, and do that in a tract. Well, that's going to take. That's where I really need prayer, and I need prayer for all of them. But uh, I'd really like prayer for that because I just, I just see that as a, as a tremendous need. It'd be a tremendous blessing. And uh, I sure would like God to use me to do that. Now, my last point is you got to water what you plant and you got to water what sprouts and you even got to water what matures. (laughs) You got to water your lawn. Now, God says in Isaiah, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. All right, now when God's word is on a printed piece of paper, it's still God's word. It does not return void. It's very powerful, and it waters the earth so that it brings forth a harvest. Now, Paul also wrote, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless, Ephesians 5. And then Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 32, let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. You see, even after somebody comes to christ they're going to need a lot of teaching they're going to need a lot of encouraging words from god just like a lawn would have to be watered the seed has to be covered and then that has to be kept damp so that it'll sprout but when it does sprout it's going to continue to need water and that's why it's important to have a to go to church and to hear good sermons and to read good books and for me, you know, to produce them, uh, which is, you know, part of my spiritual responsibility. The water of the word will make you flourish. See? Now, Jesus told us in Mark 16 that we should proclaim the gospel to every creature. That means we get outside of the church, we invite people to church, we tell people about Jesus, we give out Jesus loves you messages. But then in Matthew 28, he said, Now make disciples of all nations and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's what we do inside the four walls of the church. We do the discipling. We keep watering what sprouts. Now, in Isaiah 48, 18, it says, if only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like waves of the sea. And that was said to people who ignored God's word, but we can uh, put that in a positive way that if we don't observe, uh, uh, ignore God's word, uh, if we spend ample time in God's word, then we'll be like well-watered plants that mature and bear abundant fruit. Our peace will be like a river our well-being like waves of the sea. That would mean one blessing coming in after another, just like another wave comes in. And the psalmist wrote, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Psalms 1. Now Jesus said, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them their food at the proper time? It'll be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Matthew 24. I want to be that good and faithful servant that gives out good spiritual food. Here's my conclusion. I believe America can be reseeded with the gospel. See, I'm, I'm going to work with all my might and pray with all my heart for that to happen. I believe and I perceive and I believe that God's going to give the whole world One massive, powerful revival before the end of the age, before the return of Christ and the end time judgment on the wicked. I want to be a vital part of that revival. Now, when most churches are only having one service a week, we certainly all can't preach in church, but we could all plant Jesus loves you seeds everywhere we go during the week. See? And you will reach more lost people than, in my opinion, you will reach more lost people than 99% of all the pastors in America. If you do that, it's very doable. It's just very simple. It's just you'd have to be a fool for Christ. Now, I've been noticing verses in the Bible that sound like unclaimed promises. I'm going to give you three verses from Isaiah where God talks about his people rebuilding and renewing ruined cities so here's the first one because of this they will be known as mighty oaks of righteousness planted by yahweh as a living display of his glory they will restore ruins from long ago and rebuild what was long devastated they will renew ruined cities and desolations of past generations. That's Isaiah 61, 3 and 4 in the Passion Translation. So why can't we believe God to restore our ruined cities like New York City, Detroit, Minneapolis, Portland, Seattle, Los Angeles, St. Louis, and many others? If you believe as a Christian that you're an oak of righteousness to display the glory of the Lord, then believe the rest of the promise. See? They'll be known as mighty oaks of righteousness planted by... Yahweh, as a living display for His glory. Now, the rest of the verse: They will restore ruins from long ago, and rebuild what was long devastated. I maybe you know, they will renew ruined cities, and desolations of past generations. Well, that doesn't just mean that they'll build a uh, build a wall where where a bomb blew up a building. What really ruins cities is sin, and lawlessness and goofy ideas, and idolatries, and so let me give you some more verses. Another verse in Isaiah, is 54 verse 3, says, your sons and daughters will conquer nations and revitalize desolate cities, and then in Isaiah 58, 12, and these are the Passion Translation, And it says, you will be known as repairers of the cities and restorers of communities. And I gave you three verses in Isaiah. And that's Isaiah 54, 3, 58, 12, and then 64, 3 and 4. And they were all from the Passion Translation. But you see, they're all talking about Christians being used to renew ruined cities. So that's the title of this message, The Receding of America. Not like a receding hairline, but like a lawn that's being receded. (laughs) For too long, we've believed in like the receding hairline, like America is just, uh, you know, disappearing. There's no hope. Uh, Now, I believe there's plenty of uh, verses in the Bible that we can claim. And uh, if we'll be fools for Christ if we'll be like the people with beautiful feet that take the gospel outside of the four walls of the church. Let's be like the dandelion where each little flower turns into a great big uh, globe of seeds from 54 to 172. I I would love to have you join me in in a real vision for this. Now, one person can't uh, one dandelion can't seed the whole world with dandelion seeds. It just has to do its part. We each just have to do our part. but let's do our part. I don't know about you, but I tell you what I get tired of listening to bad news and finally I decide, you know I'm just going to shut it off and go make some news. Let's make some news of great things happening in the kingdom of God. Let's be a part of great, national and worldwide revival. Let's each do our part. Remember what God said to me long ago. He said there's nothing more spiritual than love. It doesn't seem like it's very supernatural just to give somebody a little gospel tract. It's not spectacular, but it is supernatural love. Lord, I just pray that you'd use us, give us a burden for souls, help us reach every creature Help us not be ashamed of the gospel. Help us to be willing to be fools for Christ, that we might show people that we really love them. And help us to claim the promise of renewing ruined cities. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love each of you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com or you can write P.O. Box 485 Cresswell, Oregon 97426.